Today, Afghanistan is effectively under the control of the Taliban. Chaos and turmoil in Afghanistan as Taliban insurgents tighten their grip on the nation. In just two weeks, every major city has fallen. The Taliban is now in control of Afghanistan's capital of Kabul. Afghan President Ashraf Ghani fled the country along Taliban fighters have flooded the capital. They took this city of six million people in a matter of hours. There's been completely chaotic scenes in Kabul. Thousands have flocked to Kabul's civilian airport in the center of the city where they were hoping to get on evacuation flights. People have chased or tried to chase down American military flights out of the country. Our colleague Suna Rasmussen covers Afghanistan. Tragically, we've seen several people die. There's been some gunfire in which several Afghans have been killed. And we've even seen videos of civilians trying to cling on to the bottom of a plane and falling to their deaths. The dramatic and quick fall of the Afghan government comes just weeks after the U.S. military pulled out. What we've seen is the total collapse of the American political and security project in Afghanistan. We've seen an Afghan state backed by the U.S. and its allies and its security forces completely crumble much more rapidly than anyone had anticipated. How did we get here? How much time you got? (laughs) Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, August 16th. Coming up on the show, after two decades, trillions of dollars, and more than 150,000 lives lost, the fall of Afghanistan. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. The Taliban emerged in the 1990s, in the years after the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. So the Taliban rose as a movement that said it wanted to cleanse Afghanistan of crime and of abuse and bring peace to the country. And they then ruled the country as a fundamentalist Islamist movement that imposed a strict Islamic rule on the country for five years. And during that time, They sheltered Osama bin Laden, the mastermind behind the 9-11 attacks on the U.S., which was the reason why the U.S. went in in 2001 and toppled the Taliban. What drives the Taliban? So the Taliban are often compared to groups like al-Qaeda and Islamic State. I think that's a wrong comparison. Yes, they are fundamentalist, extremist Muslims, but they are primarily a national movement. They mostly care about what happens in Afghanistan. 
They are an anti-imperialist movement, you could call them. They want foreign forces to leave Afghanistan alone, and they want to have a strict Islamic rule in Afghanistan. So it's a combination of wanting to impose a quote-unquote pure Islamic rule on Afghanistan, and then also rid the country of any foreign influence, especially Western influence. After the U.S. invasion, what happened to the Taliban? They fled the country, fled all their strongholds in Afghanistan, and then they regrouped in, in Pakistan. And then they re-emerged and resurged about 15 years ago and slowly but steadily grew stronger, more unified, mobilized better. And in the past five to six years, we've seen the Taliban establish these shadow governments around the country. And these shadow governments sort of helped the Taliban gained some experience in governing. It also helped them build loyalty among the population. Recognizing the power the Taliban had in the country, President Trump brokered a peace treaty in February 2020 with them. As part of that deal, he pledged to get all U.S. troops out of Afghanistan this year. In return, the Taliban promised that they would never allow Afghanistan to become a safe haven for international terrorist groups like al-Qaeda. They also promised not to attack American troops as they were leaving, and they promised not to attack urban areas. This is the deal that President Biden inherited when he took office. President Biden went ahead with the troop withdrawal to end what he called America's forever war. That prompted the Taliban to really ramp up their offensive across the country. Uh, they knew that basically no matter what the situation was in Afghanistan, the Americans would uh, draw down. And uh, once the Taliban got going, we saw, simply just saw the Afghan security forces melt away. Most of this territory was captured without much of a fight. What did Biden predict would happen after the U.S. troops left? U.S. intelligence predicted that Kabul could fall to the Taliban within six months. That assessment pretty quickly got adjusted to three months. By the time the Taliban started taking provincial capitals less than two weeks ago, I think that assessment had shrunk to about a month. So U.S. intelligence was aware that there was a risk that Kabul could fall to uh, the Taliban. And President Biden has repeatedly said that he thought uh, that a Taliban takeover was Unlikely, and as late as July, he said, The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It but what we saw Sunday, it might not have been a comp- like a one-to-one repeat of what happened in Vietnam, but it definitely rhymed with what we saw in Vietnam. Can you paint us a visual of what it looks like on the ground when the Taliban takes over a city? So recently, it's been pretty relatively bloodless when they've taken over over cities, actually. Over the past 20 years, there's been fierce, fierce fighting in Afghanistan. And districts have changed hands frequently, and a lot of civilians have died in the process. These past few weeks, the Taliban have moved in and basically, you know, taken a lot of very significant territory with a handshake almost. But when they move in and they they impose their rule, from what I hear from many people that I've interviewed in the districts, 
both civilians but also Taliban fighters who confirmed this. They try to impose their version of Islamic rule, which means women are not allowed to leave the house without a burqa. The burqa, this Islamic uh, type of dress that envelops the entire body and covers the face. And they're not allowed to leave the house without a male escort. Women are not allowed to go to school, to work, and men have to grow out their beards. Music is banned. Smartphones are banned because they can play music and play video. Why do you think the Afghan forces would just give up like that? I think that is evidence of, you know, an Afghan security force that don't feel like uh, the government in Kabul is worth fighting for. This is a government that's plagued by corruption, that relies on warlords, also supported by the U.S., who are notorious for abusing the population, for corruption, for being involved in drug trade, all these things. And that's eroded the loyalty among security forces to the central government in Kabul. And I think what we see now is just evidence that the Taliban is a more unified movement than the government is. And that security forces are simply not willing to die for the central government. Were you surprised at how quickly the Taliban were able to take control? It wasn't surprising to me that a U.S. withdrawal would prompt the Taliban to ramp up their offensive across the country, try and take cities, perhaps even try to take Kabul. The fact that it happened this quickly, basically in nine days since the Taliban really ramped up their offensive, that has been a shock. And I think not just to me, but to most people watching. After the break, what this means for the people of Afghanistan. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. What's the scene like right now in Kabul? So, as far as I can tell from speaking to people in Kabul, life in Kabul now is these bizarre scenes where Taliban fighters are riding around the city in U.S.-issued vehicles that belong to the Afghan army and police, waving their white flags and grinning on the back of pickup trucks, kind of flush with victory. And at the same time, the Taliban across the city are erecting checkpoints and slowly but steadily taking control, also physical control of the city, which, you know, in turn also exacerbates this apprehension and feeling of anxiety among people. What would you say is behind those feelings of anxiety? I think to understand 
the chaos and the panic we're seeing in, in Kabul now. I think it's important to understand that many Afghans, especially in Kabul, have a similar perception of the Taliban uh, and many in the West do. And they also know them as a violent movement. So when the Taliban enter Kabul, people all of a sudden stand face to face with this movement that they have feared for two decades. Most women in Kabul live lives that the Taliban don't agree with. Most young people in Kabul live lives that the Taliban will probably clamp down on. Many people have worked for the government. Many people have worked for foreign companies or foreign forces or embassies. And all these people right now fear that they will be persecuted under the Taliban. After seizing control of Kabul, what do you think we will see the Taliban do to kind of tighten their hold? I think we can expect to see the Taliban try to consolidate power in Kabul. We already see that today. They've been in power in Kabul for about 24 hours now. And we already see them erecting checkpoints around Kabul. They're going from house to house through media offices, uh, looking for government officials, searching through NGO offices. We know that people are burning documents that show, you know, I, I have female friends in Kabul who have asked their parents to burn the documents to show their accomplishments, university degrees, for example. So I think all this is part of the Taliban consolidating control over Kabul because they also consolidate this authority through fear. And that fear is very pervasive now, already. What are they afraid of? I think everyone that I've spoken to is afraid of the Taliban knocking their door and asking to see ID or rummaging through their drawers and finding quote-unquote incriminating documents linking them to the American University in Kabul or to an embassy or to an NGO and then finding out how the Taliban are going to react to that. Has the Taliban said anything about taking Kabul? And have they addressed in any way these fears that there will be human rights abuses when they take over? Yeah, the Taliban have said that uh, ordinary Afghans have nothing to fear, even those who worked with the government. And uh, they have also promised amnesty to the people who worked in the security forces. But what we've seen in the past couple of weeks is that people who did work with the government were arrested in Taliban areas. People who work with the security forces were sometimes executed by the Taliban just in the recent past, just in the past couple of weeks. And even if the Taliban don't do anything to you now, they now know who you are. And that could be terrifying to live in Kabul with that knowledge that the Taliban know who you work for and where you live and can come back any moment when the international attention is probably less intense. What do you think we'll see the Taliban do next? I think we'll see the Taliban try and form a government and that will alienate Afghans as little as possible, if that makes sense. But I also think a part of them consolidating authority will be persecution of especially security forces. And we've seen this over the past couple of weeks when they've moved in to new areas. We've heard uh, and confirmed stories of uh, security forces being uh, summarily executed in, in uh, rural areas and, and government uh, officials being arrested, things like that. So with the Taliban in control of Afghanistan, what will 
it mean for the rest of the world? A lot of people will now be watching to see whether either the Taliban will allow al-Qaeda or similar groups to get a foothold in Afghanistan, or whether there will also be a lot of lawless areas in the country and maybe these terrorist groups will be able to put down roots there. That's an immediate concern, I think, for many uh, people who watch counterterrorism affairs. And then I think if the Taliban manage to stay in power, we'll also see a reshuffling of the power balance in uh, South Asia and the Middle East. Uh, we know Russia has said that they are not closing their embassy in Kabul. And these are all signs that at least these powers who are vying for influence with the U.S. over South Asia and the Middle East will have a different relationship to the Taliban than the U.S. and Europe will. What could the U.S. have done to avoid getting to this point? I think to answer that question, we have to go back uh, more than a decade. So I think over the past, over almost the entirety of the war, the U.S. has followed a strategy that seems to be more focused on counterinsurgency and counterterrorism than building an Afghan state that addressed the needs and wishes of the Afghan people. And while the U.S. has managed to kill and imprison a lot of people that it considered terrorists and enemies, it's also managed to create a lot of enemies in the process by using indiscriminate airstrikes, by detaining people who in some cases turn out to be innocent, by allegedly torturing people, things like that. And that's created a deep opposition in Afghanistan to the U.S. And I think to avoid what we've seen today, the U.S. would also have helped the Afghan government build a stronger foundation to govern from and a stronger security force and more more loyalty among the security forces. So there's no easy answer to what the U.S. could have done differently. But the answer is not found two weeks ago or six months ago. It, uh, this is a, a foundational question that underpins the entire war. This afternoon at the White House. Good afternoon. I want to speak today. President Biden stepped up to a podium and defended the U.S. troop withdrawal. I stand squarely behind my decision. After 20 years, I've learned the hard way that there was never a good time to withdraw U.S. forces. That's why we're still there. And Biden placed some of the blame for the Taliban takeover on the Afghan government and military. This did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed, sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not willing to fight for themselves. Biden said thousands of American citizens remain in Afghanistan and that the government is working on getting them and some vulnerable Afghans out of the country. That's all for today, Monday, August 16th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional audio in today's episode from Jawad Sukanyar via Storyful. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.